The last couple of weeks, we've been in a message series called So Be It, and we've been focusing on different prayers in the Bible, and so um, we're going to continue that this morning, and so be it is actually what amen um, means, right? When we end our prayer, amen, that means so be it, and so as we continue this morning, we're going to continue with a message that I have titled this, it's praying for a bold voice in a lost world, praying for just that, that courage to speak out, the courage to stand firm, the courage to be bold in a world that's lost. And when we look at the apostles in the early church, um, we see something. One, we see a lot of persecution. And then we see a lot of leaning into that persecution. And rather than running, um, praying for the boldness and the courage to stand firm against it and to push back. And so again, the Bible records that the earliest Christians, they prayed um, not for deliverance from hardships and persecution, but for God to give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. And God answered their prayers. And so as we get started this morning, I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter four, but before we get there, I wanna give just a little bit of context. So Acts is um, the fifth book of your Bible, right? You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are your gospels. They tell about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And then you have Acts. Acts was written by Luke. So the same guy that wrote the gospel of Luke wrote the book of Acts. He wrote both of them to the great Theopolis. We know this because he states that at the beginning of each of those. And in Acts chapter two, we see something great takes place, right? Jesus had ascended to heaven and he told his disciples, hey, listen, I want you to wait because I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit to you. And we, and we see that take place in Acts chapter two, that the disciples, they received power when they were indwelled and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And the moment that that happens, people begin to take notice, right? They see a change and Peter, Peter begins to step out and preach. What's crazy about this is this was Peter that not too long ago denied Jesus, ran for his life, went back to fishing, trying to deny the call that God had placed on his life. And then as he receives the Holy Spirit, he begins to step out with boldness in front of people, preaching and teaching of, of salvation through Jesus Christ. And what's significant about this, Jesus had just been murdered, right? That the same people that wanted Jesus killed and successfully did so would want the same for Peter. But he steps up, he steps out. And because of that, we see at the end of Acts chapter two that over 3,000 people were saved that day. What a beautiful thing that was done through the boldness of Peter and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then preceding that, we see that the early church is beginning to be launched, right? That the believers are coming together. As they're coming together, they're forming a community, right? They're loving on one another. They're growing together. It is a beautiful picture of the early church. And then as we move forward into Acts chapter three, Peter and John, they begin to go to the temple. They're going to the temple for prayer. And as they arrive at the temple, there's a cripple, a, a beggar who had been dropped off at a gate, what we call the beautiful gate. And, and he's likely been there day in and day out because we learn later that people recognized him. And what was significant about being there um, is this, uh, the beggar would be there as people would come in for prayer um, that, that it would be um, just kind of signified as like this, uh, a good thing, right? To give to, to this beggar. They, they would give him money. And if you wouldn't, right, you're not being a good Jewish boy. And so here this man was, and as Peter and John walk up, um, he says, can you give me some money, right? Can you help a brother out? And Peter begins to look at him and say, look at us. 
Like, right? Like, I work for the church. You think I got anything? I can relate to Peter in that moment. Um, And so here he is. And this beggar asks, but Peter says this, listen, I don't have money for you, but I'll give you what I do have. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he reaches out, he grabs him by the right hand, and he lifts this cripple up. And this, this beggar's legs are, are restored. He's miraculously healed. And he gets up and he goes leaping away. And, and this is the first miraculous healing we see of this nature in the book of Acts. I mean, we, we'd seen that the, the disciples, now apostles, had, had received the this power of the Spirit, but now they're, they're realizing that when Jesus said, you'll do greater works than me, that this is the kind of thing he was talking about. And so this man's healed. And of course, he's excited. So Peter and John, they go into the synagogue for prayer, and this man follows them right? You know, when we have a significant encounter with God like that, we want to be around the people that we experienced it with. And so this gentleman was no different. So he goes into the temple and he's telling people what had happened. People see him. Isn't this the man that's been crippled for years, that, that, that was at the beautiful gate, that, that couldn't walk? Isn't this the man? And so Peter and John, they see an opening and they begin to preach almost an identical message to the one that they preached on Pentecost. And they begin preaching of life after death, that they begin to be preaching salvation through Jesus Christ. And as they're doing so, people begin to take notice, some positively, some negatively. And if you go to Acts 4, 1 through 2, it says this, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some Sadducees. And they begin to come and confront their message, right? That, that the way, the early Christian church, it went against Jewish culture. Their message was not conducive to what they were preaching, what they were teaching. And it says this, these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching that people, um, people that through Jesus, there is resurrection from the dead. One of the reasons they were so upset is the Sadducees, they were, they were somewhat like Pharisees, right? They were, they were kind of up in the church, in the community. They had tons of power and authority, but they didn't believe in life after death. And so they were sad, you see, right? There, there was nothing after. And so here we had the Sadducees in the temple. They hear the message and they're upset about it. And it says this, they arrested them. And since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning, that these people that were coming against Peter and John in this moment, they had almost unlimited authority in the temple. That, that in fact, they could, they could beat them, they could flog them, they could likely execute them for what they were doing. And so here, Peter and John are arrested. What a plot twist, right? I mean, we just seen in Acts 2 that, that Peter preached and people praised and they were saved and the church grew. They're doing the will of God. And when you're doing the will of God, nothing comes against you, right? You, or, or does it? I mean, now they're in jail. I remember this. I remember coming into ministry here, um, and, and I, had, I had a business, and, and I made good money, and, and I was financially stable. And then I began to work for the church, and it's nothing against that. But what I found was I didn't focus on the things that I should well. And, and financially, my life was different than it used to be. And, and I knew that I was called to do what I was called to do. But about seven months in, I find myself burning garbage in the middle of the night in my backyard because I had no money. 
And I remember thinking, God, you called me to this. I thought there was just gonna be a fount of blessing, that the money would pour in, the coffers would be full, and that everything would be great, my bills would be miraculously paid. But instead, at about midnight, every night, I burned garbage so my family wouldn't realize that I couldn't pay the bill. That's not at all what I expected. But I was doing the will of God, I was pursuing him, and I had to be faithful, even in those difficult situations, to know what I heard God say to me was what what he meant then is what he meant now, and I was gonna keep pushing forward. And so here, Peter and John, they're arrested, and it's still true, they find themselves in a situation of intense persecution. But the message and the mission hadn't changed, right? Even in the midst of this, even though I doubt they expected to end their their afternoon in handcuffs. Nothing about that and what they were meant to do changed. And it it says this following that in Acts 4.4. It says, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. That that even though they faced persecution, even though it likely didn't look the way they thought it would look, they stood firm, they preached the message and people were saved and the church grew. And, and, and people were reached and stories were changed because they were faithful to what God had called them to do. And then they find themselves before the council. Acts 4 or 5, it says the next day. So they spent the night in jail. Some of you know what that's like. It's not fun. They spent the next day um, before the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law um, met in Jerusalem. And so... Here here you have all the people that now hold the power of life and death over Peter and John, and they come before them. And it says, but to keep them from spreading their propaganda, say propaganda. Propaganda. You know, that's a type of terminology that I hear lately in regards to what we believe as Christians, right? That we begin to kind of have this attack on what we're doing here, right? It's propaganda. It's not right. We're doing it. So here, Peter and John, it says, but to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus's name. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never to speak or teach in the name of Jesus called them in and said, sit down and shut up. Don't you know who we are? Don't you know what we can do? Don't you know that we have the ability and the power to crush you. Sit down, shut up, don't speak in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling people about everything we have seen and heard. That even in that, even in this threat, which was not empty, even in the face of a culture where they were the minority, Even in all of that, they knew that they had to be steadfast in their mission, steadfast in their pursuit. And they said, would you rather us listen to you than God? Would you rather us waver here and bend to your will rather than than bending to God's? This is what Peter and John replied. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen or heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. 
And so they end up finding themselves released. They, they end up finding themselves in freedom. And then in, in chapter um, tw- um, four, verse 23, it says, as soon as, say as soon as. As soon as, as, soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers. As soon as they were freed, they returned to the other believers. The King James says it this, and being let go, they went to their own company, say own company, and told them what the leading priests and elders said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. God, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, that they began to come together. They went back to their own people. They went back to the people who who prayed like them, who believed like them, who had convictions like they did. And when they faced persecution, they went back to those who would journey with them and lift them up back to their own people. They went with their own company. I have news for you. We live in a post-Christian culture. And what that means is, is that it's no longer the prevailing faith when we walk out these doors, that the way that we think, what we believe, and what we pursue in life is oftentimes the minority. I remember elementary school 30-something years ago, around then, whatever it was, but, but I, remember, I remember lying to people and saying that, that I was a Christian. We didn't go to church. I had no idea what it meant, but this is the thing. I wanted to fit in because most of the people I went to school They believe that way. Let me tell you something. That's not the world my kids grow up in. That's not the world they're growing up in. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if most of them don't lie to their friends and say, I don't know what church is. And isn't your daddy a pastor? I don't know what he does. I think he deals drugs, right? I mean, because that would be more accepted. That would be more accepted today than than what it was then, right? We've made this shift in our culture. We've made this shift We've made this shift in our communities, in our homes, and what we do here matters. I mean, if we were to, we stand here, we arrive here week after week and, and believe that, that God the creator has gifted us with salvation and gifted us with this community and gifted us with this body, and we should have the courage to come together when we face persecution, when we face hard times, and do exactly as the apostles did and lean into one another with prayer. And point number one this morning is this. We need to journey with people who share your passion. Journey with people that share your passion. When Peter and John faced something that was much more than an uncomfortable situation, their response was one I think we should all mimic. They went to the people who shared their convictions and their passion for prayer. That they began to journey with the people who would lift them up and encourage them as they just went before the council. I could imagine standing in that room and thinking, am I wrong, right? Here's all of these leaders, all of these people who have status, all of these people who are more important than me and they're telling me I'm wrong, that I don't know. I can begin, I can see myself to begin to think that way or maybe believe that. So how important is it it to go from that situation to the people, your people, your company that believe like you, that reaffirm your faith, that, that reaffirm your beliefs, that, that lifts you up in prayer. We need to journey with people who share our passion. And so sometimes, again, we need to reaffirm our faith. We need to be reminded or reassured. 
If you don't come alongside people who share your passion, again, you run the risk of thinking you're all alone. It's so important, again, in today's world that we don't neglect our meeting together, that, that we don't go weeks and, and not find ourselves in a room of people who love Jesus and wanna pursue him the way that we do. Because the longer we spend out there and the less time we spend here, the more risk we run of convincing ourselves that they're right and this is wrong. The more we find ourselves failing and faltering and stepping back rather than leaning into and finding boldness to push back against the things of this world. We need to journey with people who share a passion, who pursue Jesus the way that, that we ought to. And so as we keep going, um, Acts 4, 25 through 26, it says this, it says, you spoke long ago. So the disciples, they're praying, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor, David, your servant saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of this earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against um, the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this happened here in this very city for Herod, Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. And then in verse 28, it says this, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness. Say great boldness. Great boldness in preaching your word. Boldness, that's confidence, that's courage. That, that as they found themselves in that place, life's on the line, livelihood on the line. That these threats that weren't empty, they, they went back to their own people, right? To be encouraged, to be reminded, to, to seek God in prayer. They went back to their own people in spite of these threats, in spite of the warnings, in spite of what they were told. They went back to pursue Jesus and they began to pray, not that God would smite their enemies, but that they would be bold enough to stand in the face of all they were facing in their culture, that all they were facing in their city, to be bold and courageous enough to stand firm on God's word, to be unrelenting and to push back in love and truth. It says, give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. They didn't become distracted. They didn't become discouraged. They were not backed into a corner. They did not fail or falter. And I just have to wonder how different would our world look if this is the stance that each of us took? And if I'm being real honest with you, it's not the stance I always take, that I find myself not wanting to look weird, right? <laughs> to not, to, I find myself pulling back, being more concerned about what they will think rather than what God will think if I'm disobedient here. I find myself being quiet rather than being a champion for truth and a voice of reason. But the apostles, they, they leaned into it to give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. How different would things look? Again, if we took this stance, would our children still be facing the things that they face? Would marriage be under attack the way that it is? As we see failed relationship after failed relationship 
And we're too cowardly to show up and to speak out and say, love your wife, love your husband. Get this nonsense out of your head. How often do we fail to rise to the occasion because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings? And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Point number two is this. We should pray for boldness when you face persecution. Now, I use the word persecution lightly because I know this. There's believers, other parts of the world, they face things that we can't imagine. But we still face things that make us uncomfortable. We still face things that cause us to pull back. And, and we face them every day. And, and I know in my own life, there's, it's, it's a little different, but um, Janelle and I, we have, we have like a, a whole like herd of children. We've got six of them. Um, it's insane. You should see our grocery bill. Um, and several of them are teenagers. I think four. I don't really know. It's my job. It's my job just to keep them alive, right? I don't, I don't really need to know their birthdays or any of that. So um, there, there's things that we do, though, in our family that look different than other people. And two of these have become a real issue for my older kids. Number one is they're not allowed to date till they're 16. Number two is they're not allowed to have a cell phone till they're 16. And so my kids will, will come to us and they've come to us several times and they've said, everybody, everybody has a cell phone. And then I went to the high school and in fact, everybody does have a cell phone except for my children. But <laughs> even in that, I don't care. I mean, but, and so everybody's dating. Everybody's having a cell phone, and they push back. And I find myself being backed into a corner and questioning my choice, right? Everybody's doing it. It feels like the whole world is against me and my wife and the stance that we've taken. And my children are upset, and they whine, and they plead, and they cry. And I've got to be the dad that says, I don't care. I don't care. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing, and we face this all the time. And I want to say this, side note, if you're in here and you have teenagers that are under the age of 16 and they're dating and they have a phone, Janelle and I don't like you. You're part, you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. And so we find ourselves having to be bold in the face of persecution from what seems like everybody. I got coaches wondering why my kids don't have cell phones, teachers, their friends, my kids, everybody. But we've got to be bold. But, and that's a silly example. But when we step out of these doors and we go and we, we sacrifice on a movie that's got content it shouldn't have, rather than drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm not going to go there. The more of us that do, the more the culture continues to move. Music, friends, choice after choice. Where if we would just look around the room and say, we need to come together. We need to be bold. We need to lift each other up. We need, we need to stand in the face of persecution. We would make a difference. But if, but if everybody's doing it, and we convince ourselves everybody's doing it, then we continue to drift further and further away from what God's called us to. And again, it's pray for boldness when you face persecution. Paul said this in Romans, Romans 12 too. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So many of us 
have bent ourselves around the world than bending the world around us, around God's word, right? We're not to be conformed to it, that, that we should look different than the people outside of these walls, that when we step out into the world as we're loving people and interacting with them, that, that it should be obvious that we follow Jesus. We're not meant to look like everybody else. And that's hard because people will call you weird. There's people in my family that, that question what I do and how I live my life, which doesn't make sense to me because they didn't seem to question it very much when I was smoking meth and drinking all the time, right? But, but as I've moved into this world, it's like, what are you like, you know, Bible thumper now, holier than now, or you get ridiculed. That's okay. That's okay because we're to stand firm. Don't be conformed to this world. Stand firm in your beliefs. Stand firm in your convictions. Pray for boldness. Come alongside people that believe the way that you believe, that will encourage you in it, that will push you forward, that will journey with you. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Not broken, not hectic, not chaotic. Not, not, the, not the will of the world that sucks the life out of you and leads to depression, that leads to unhappiness, but God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's keep going. Point number three, um, Acts 4.30, it says this, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is after this prayer. Say after. After this prayer, after coming together with believers, after pursuing God, after pursuing his will, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They preached the word of God with boldness. God works through the willing. God, God works through those of us who submit our lives to his will. God works through those of us that, that would allow him to do so. And point number three is this, expect God to answer your call to be used. That is the disciples came forward as they asked God to listen to their threats and give us your servants great boldness. God was not indifferent to that prayer. God was not indifferent to their cry and their plea for help. God was not indifferent to it because it lined up with his will. It, it lined up with his command. And when you look at the beginning of Acts, Acts 1, um, 18, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jeru Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God answered it because it was God's charge to all of us from the very beginning that we would step out of our comfort zone, that we would go out into the the world, not to be conformed by it, but to change it, to impact it, to introduce people to Jesus. That was God's call. And when we pray, God, submit me, let me submit to your will. Give me the courage and the boldness to do what you've commanded. God shows up. God answers that prayer and that call each and every time. And so how many times, how many times do we find ourselves looking across the street to the neighbor? Gosh, I hate them. I, I wish... 
I wish they would move away. Rather than saying, God, give me the boldness and the courage to show up in their world, to be a voice of reason, to love them the way you've called me to love them, to serve them the way that you've called me to serve them, and to be a light in their world. Rather than praying for them to leave, pray for access into their lives. How many times do you see broken families? And you say, man, look at the way they treat their kids. Look at the way he treats his wife. Or look at the way she treats her husband. Man, why don't we start praying, Father, give me a bold voice. Make me courageous enough to show up and to speak truth and to speak life into their situation. Father, use me. Use me to impact my world. Father, stop allowing me to be conformed to everything that takes place and give me a boldness. God, just shape the world around me. And it says, God, make us. God, make me. God, make me bold and use me to reach those that do not know you. God, make me bold and use me to reach those that do not know you. What an easy, simple prayer. And it's one that God will answer 10 times out of 10. He'll give us access to people's lives. He'll give us opportunity to speak and to love, to guide and direct, to lead them to the things of God. But we've got to start being courageous enough to pray for it. We've got to start being willing enough to pursue it. We've got to allow God to use us rather than complain about the way that our world looks, <laughs> the way that our community looks, the way that everything looks, rather than complaining about it. The disciples, they had every reason to complain. They faced death. <laughs> they faced real persecution. Everything was on the line. And rather than going to God and complaint, they say, God, make us more bold. Help us to stand more firm. Help us to reach more. Give us your servants a boldness in preaching your word. Give us a boldness in preaching your word. And so I want us to do this. I want us to close our eyes this morning. I want us just to begin to spend a moment with God. And, and I want you to ask him to reveal where you are today. Maybe you, you call upon the name of Jesus and, and you're a Christian and you find yourself hesitating. You find yourself being more concerned with what people will think about you than what God's called you to do. And if that's you, I want you to just begin to ask God, God, give me your servant a great boldness in preaching your word.